The following is a presentation from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you. For more information, visit lifepointpeople.com. We are in the middle of a marriage series called Covenant or Contract, and uh, we're going to recap a little bit of where we've been, if this is your first time here. But we're, we're going to jump right into the third section today. And I really wanted to kick off the sermon with a funny joke. But when you look up marriage jokes on Google, don't. They're, they're mostly poor and mostly vile. And they degrade marriage and completely just, I'm looking at it going, that's not funny. I know somebody who's going through that right now. So being a pastor has sort of ruined marriage jokes for me. But instead, what I thought I would do is I, I had a, an incredibly funny situation happen Yesterday, I was visiting a, a dear woman from the church in the hospital. She had a surgery last week, and during the surgery, the doctor must have nicked one of her organs because she got home, was feeling fine, and then before she knew it, she had a lot of internal bleeding and, and came to actually was laying on her deathbed in the hospital, and the doctors didn't know if she'd make it. Her blood pressure was so low. Her daughters were there with her. They laid hands on her. They began to pray over her, and um, lo and behold, as the night went on, she got stronger. And they, they stopped the bleeding, and I went and saw her Saturday, and she was looking great and was feeling pretty good. She was still a bit weak, but was eating, and they were getting ready to send her home this morning. And so, praise the Lord. I know, praise God. It's one of those things that we often glance over, but I'm going, her daughter said if you would have seen her, it looked really bad. Um, it was either Thursday or Friday night. So I think it was Friday night. No, Thursday night. So I'm there Saturday afternoon, and she's, we're talking, and I spend about 45 minutes with her, and she says that... She, she wants to come home, and she was talking with her daughter earlier that morning. <laughs> this is awesome. So she's talking with her daughter earlier that morning, and she just looks at her, and she goes, sweetie, I just want to go home. And her daughter goes, it's okay, mama. You can go home. And she goes, no, not with Jesus. I want to go home to Copper Basin. And you can just see it in her eyes. She's like, goodness, girl, I love the Lord, but I don't want to go there yet. I want to go home. And never has Copper Basin looked so good to a person and when her daughter's like, just let go, mom. <laughs> you can go. Uh, I, I just lost it in the hospital. I thought that was great. And I bring it up with this marriage thing because um, she contracted MS later in life and, and the symptoms started to show and her husband left her. And one of the things she said there in the hospital is, God has been my man ever since. And through it all, and even through this trip in the hospital and the fear of it all, she said, pastor, is it okay that I don't want to go? Is it okay that I love the Lord and I know heaven will be incredible, but I, I want to stay here. I want to live. I want to see my grandkids. I want to watch my daughters continue to grow. And I said, of course it is. You know, it's built within us to thrive. It's built within us to live. It's built within us to take dominion. It's built within us to pursue after his righteousness, especially when you're his daughter or his son. And so I reminded her, of course it's normal. And she goes, I'm looking forward to the day that it comes. I'm just hoping it's not this weekend. And it was so cool to see this woman and and how much she relied on the Lord and how much peace she had in her life for somebody who was that close to death. And so as we jump into this series, Covenant or Contract, it reminded me that we as spouses, and, and if you're single in this room, then I encourage you to take the information today and apply it to your current relationships because Current relationships for people who are single are just practice for the big one, marriage, right? They're they're not going to be as complicated as marriage. They're not going to be as frustrating as marriage. And when you don't like them, you just both go to your separate places of living 
unless you're roommates, in which case you slam the doors and don't talk. But whether you're single or married, what we're going to talk about today is really God's advice on relationships, and marriage is just the pinnacle of relationships as we talk about it. So we're going to be talking about the priority of marriage, and to do that, I want to be back in the same text. We're going to read this probably every Sunday that we're talking about this, because by the end of it, you should have this section on marriage in the Bible, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, memorized. It is the most classic, it is the most comprehensive text in all of Scripture on how God views marriage. So we're going to have it up on the board. I'm going to read through it and just follow along with me again. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The basis, the foundation for all marriages, whether you believe in him or not, is right here. Submit to one another out of the reverence for Christ, not out of reverence for one another or because your spouse is just so wonderful, but because of who Christ is and what he's done. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave, and again, he's quoting Genesis here, right? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. So the first week we kicked this series off, we talked about uh, what marriage is, and we talked about the foundational problem of any marriage is the fact that we are self-centered people. And that as much as we want to love and we want to share our lives with our spouse, we are so consumed with self and our own problems that that's difficult to do. And the more broken we are, the more self-centered we are, and the harder it is to see your spouse's need and meet your spouse's need, right? We're all pretty much on the same page there. I think if we're being honest, we can recognize our fault there. And the thing with the Bible is the Bible is unbelievably realistic about how difficult marriage will be. This was Valentine's Day weekend. There were pink and and red and purple everywhere, right? And And it was all there to get us to buy chocolates or flowers or, if you're really smart, diamonds. And I saw one commercial that said, love is diamonds, Love is diamonds. Are you kidding me? So we have just completely taken it out, and we're going to be shameless about the fact that, look, if you buy diamonds, you'll get love, at least some form of it, some temporary form of love. Diamonds, love are diamonds. And as silly as it is, and as promotional as it is, and as ridiculous as it is, it's also sort of the mindset we take, that love is things, love is this. And the Bible gives us this realistic approach that no, love is hard, love is sacrificial, love is painful, love is disgusting, love is gross, sometimes love smells. Love is this covenant, it's this commitment, it's this bond, it's this growth that with one another you become a better individual but corporately together you are stronger than either one of you are separately. That's the Bible's view on marriage. And one of the things we talked about is as soon as you sort of take yourself away from that, as soon as you try to 
do marriage outside of what the Bible calls it, it's an institution of the Lord, then we begin to get into trouble. Now, Paul assumes sort of a spirit-filled life. Do you know that? Paul assumes in verse 21 that we already have the Spirit of God in us, that, it, that, that we submit one to another, not because we're so great, but because of what? Reverence for Christ. And so if I have a reverence for Christ, it means that I have the Spirit of God in my life. He is enabling me not to be so selfish and pig-headed and rude. Not me, of course, but in general. He's enabling that in me. Actually, that is all me, every one of those, am I right? He's enabling that in me. And so it assumes a spirit-centeredness, and it assumes that with his help I'm able to do it because I cannot do those things on my own. And the main disease that eats away at any marriage is self-centeredness, and only the Spirit of God can get rid of that. And we've already talked about the fact that those who don't believe, there's a bargaining that goes on, there's an understanding, but the Spirit of God is what helps remove self-centeredness from any marriage. The number two definition we talked about last week was marriage as a definition, and we defined it as cleaving. The Bible says to cleave to one another. We leave father and mother and cleave. The word cleaving literally means to be glued to, and as we said last week, it's not Elmer's glue, it's, it's gorilla glue, it's crazy glue. And for some marriages, crazy is the emphasized word there, am I right? It's crazy glue, and, and you can't pull crazy glue apart if you do you end up hurting both surfaces, and that's exactly what we see in our world today. We see a lot of people who have been united in a covenantal relationship and then have ripped it apart, and both of them have scars on either side of them. And now the beauty is God heals those scars, God redeems, God restores, but we want to talk about marriage inside of what God's looking for. If, if we were to walk his path, what, what does marriage look like? And so the definition of marriage is this covenant. It's public. We talked about that last week. It's very nature. It's public. That's why we invite people to the wedding. They can hold us accountable. Let me tell you this. If you have someone who is willing to give you a promise like that and someone that you're willing to give that promise to, you have found love. The world wants to say, who needs a piece of paper? Who needs a ring? Who needs marriage? But if they're wanting everything else from you but aren't willing to be in a covenant with you, then they don't really love you. I don't care what they tell you. I don't care how blue their eyes are or how those yoga pants. Why are yoga pants so big right now? All over the internet and Facebook, people are talking about, I won't talk about it, but my goodness. But seriously, right? I'll do all these things, but if, if they won't enter into a covenant with you, if they won't say, I'll be vulnerable, I'll completely open who I am in front of you, the good and the bad, through a marriage covenant, then they don't really love you as much as someone who's willing to be that with you because that takes a whole nother level of commitment, a whole nother level of love. And inside of that marriage covenant, you experience a whole nother level of trust in another human being. And so the modern way of talking about love is totally different. We talked about that. It's not something you fall into or like a virus, it's not something you catch. Instead, it's something you do. That's one thing cool I loved about each one of these testimonies is love was doing something. Love was service. They didn't love going because they got those fancy clothes, although those were sweet. They went and they loved it and their memories were of the service and of being able to see the, the eyes on the girls and the workers when, when we got to serve others. Love comes first and that is where we are this morning, the priority of marriage. The priority of marriage. Where is it in your life? 
Where is marriage as far as a priority amongst all of the things and the desires and the dreams and the frustrations and the stress and the toil? Where does marriage fit? Where does your marriage fit? It says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. No other relationship will be more fundamental than the the relationship between a husband and his wife. So before that, we talked about this previously. There's no basic relationship more primary than a parent to a child. And the Bible says you leave that relationship, you leave mom and dad so as to cleave to your wife, so as to enter into now what is the most basic core relationship you have. You enter into marriage and you take two people, two unique individuals, and they create a new unique compound. Does that make sense? You're not that... You're not that, you know, you become one brain and you think alike and it's like the Borg on Star Trek where you're this collective. You, you each have your own feelings, your own thoughts, but now you're un- this unique compound together. And it should be the most primary, the most, the most basic, greatest thing you do is how you love your spouse. Could you imagine that? If, the, if my greatest accomplishment on my deathbed is that I loved my spouse well, you will have lived a good life as far as scripture tells us. So father, mother, child relationships, all of those become secondary. Therefore, your spouse and your marriage are made the number one priority, and it has come before your career, it has come before your friends, even your bestie, okay? It's come before all of that, and it's come before your children. And we're gonna talk about this one because this one's got some real serious negative implications when your children have that place that your spouse should be as sort of the number one relationship, the relationship where you draw a lot of your self-esteem and your love and your purpose. We're going to talk that. And we're going to talk about what it looks like when it gets out of whack here. So you enter into marriage and you begin to put it second. And what happens? You don't do it right away. You, don't, you aren't engaged and you put each other second. You'll stay up late. I remember Christy used to work the night shift when we were engaged and in the honeymoon and all in love and all of that junk. And uh, it's not junk, it's precious. And she would work the night shift and then my day would just be starting and she would go home, change, come over and like make breakfast because I was working out of my dad's office, which was out of the house, and, and then hang out with me and then she would make lunch for me, and I thought it, life was just going to be like this forever. I'm like, this is great. You didn't sleep all night. You came home, made breakfast and lunch. You might sleep sometime, and then she would go off, and I could go hang out with my friends because we were just engaged, and it was a wonderful arrangement. Marriage just ruined all of it because now, all of a sudden, she sleeps. I don't get breakfast and lunch all the time. I was, I was really disillusioned there. No, what happens is we begin, life happens, and we, and we see other things as priority, and we stop seeing our spouse's needs. We stop hearing that, we stop, and this one's really big. I didn't even say this for service, but we stop recognizing the Lord speaking to us through our spouse. Did you know that? When your spouse is not the number one priority in your life, you do not hear the words of God through their mouth. You see it as a distraction. You see it as an annoyance. You see it as a hindrance to what you're trying to get done. You do not recognize the very wisdom that God has put on their lips for you because they're not number one in your life. So let me ask you this question. If your spouse thinks you have a communication problem, do you have a communication problem? (laughs) You're like, I'm not answering that, Pastor. That sounds like a trick question. And I'm just going to be quiet and wait for you to answer it for me and then nod my head agreeing. 
Yes, you have a communication problem. If I sit down with a couple and, and I look at the man and I say, do you have a communication problem with your spouse? Man says, nope, we communicate just fine. I look over at his wife and say, do you feel you have a communication problem with your husband? Yes, I do. Things are very difficult. He just doesn't talk to me. You, sir, have a communication problem. Well, I know you see everything as fine. But if both partners in the agreement, if in the covenant, do not see that they are communicating, well, that is a problem. That is an area that needs to be addressed, and so often we feel like, well, they need to get their stuff together. They need to fix this, or the man needs to fix it, and he needs to get better over here. And what's really going on is at some point in the relationship, one of the spouses does not feel that they are the other's number one priority. They feel they've taken a back seat to one of the uh, aforementioned uh, obstacles or distractions that come up in our life. And so it says in verse 28 of the scripture we just read, husbands, we ought to love our wives as our own bodies. So we know our health is foundational to us, and we know that if we decide to put work ahead of our health, say you get a new job or you're working on a project that's huge, and you begin to just work ridiculous hours, you're not sleeping, you're not eating healthy anymore, you've stopped working out, and all you're doing is working. You you haven't talked to your wife, you haven't kissed the kids, you haven't kicked the dog. It's been one of those weeks where you have just been so focused, and maybe the weeks turn into months, and before you know it, the months have turned into years. What happens? You get sick. You get really sick. You've been disconnected from your relationships. And so what happens is when when we stop loving our wives as our own bodies, the same thing happens as what would happen if you put work first. As you begin to lose both the job and your health, when we put our wives second, we begin to lose the connection, or, or our spouses second, we begin to lose the connection between our spouses, and we begin to lose our spouse and our health. Your marriage is like a central thermometer of your life. And, and tell me if you agree with me on this. There's this quote from, pa- from a pastor who says, if your career is struggling but your marriage is strong, you go out into the world in strength. If your marriage is weak but everything else in your life is strong, you go out into the world in weakness. Because your marriage is a thermometer of your life. It is taking the temperature of what is good and what is bad. And if there are viruses and there are outside forces influencing it, you will have a sickness going on. But if I have the whole world crumbling around me, but but me and my spouse are on the same page, then I go out in strength. I go out healthy. Because I can handle all of that, but I cannot handle when the person who knows me most intimately, the person who knows all of my vulnerabilities, all of my weaknesses, who is the one who knows how to strengthen me with her words or his. i got to just stick to the spouse's thing. When, when, when I go into the world and that is bad, it doesn't matter what's going on. I enter into the world in weakness. And we know that. Many of us know that. There's a lot of married couples in this room. We understand that. The question is, how do I get back to a point of making sure my spouse is my priority. So I want to ask another question. This morning when you came in, if we're being just really honest this morning, why not? When you came in, what has the greatest chance of being greater to you than your spouse at this point? If I were to sit down with your spouse, or maybe I'll just call him up here on stage. I don't know how brave am I feeling as I look, as I look for eyeballs to be looking at. If I were to say, do you feel that you are the number one priority of your spouse? What do you think they will say. 
If I were to ask them, do you feel that your spouse makes you number one every week, what do you think they will say? What if I were to ask them this, do you feel that your spouse has his career over you or her career over you, has their children above you, has your parents, the relationship with their parents above you, has their hobby above you, has money and the possession of it or the lack thereof above you? Or what about this one? I feel that I am second to my spouse and their relationship with their friends. I feel that my spouse's friendships outside of our marriage are more important to them than me. Where are you at when you walked in these doors this morning? If I were to ask your spouse, what would they say? Could, could they say without a doubt, I am number one in my spouse's eyes and in their actions and how they treat me? Because if they can't, that's what we want to see. That's what we want to fix. That's what we want to talk about. That is your homework today. Over lunch at the Olive Garden or one of the other three restaurants we have (laughs) is to look at your spouse and say, do you feel I'm making you number one? And here's the beauty of it. This can really open up conversation to something that they've been wanting to talk about but haven't known how to. Maybe it's not that you've always put them second, but maybe it's that this last season has been so rough or you've had this job thing or this promotional thing or something going on with the kids where you're always running them somewhere and they just don't feel number one. It doesn't make you a bad spouse. It doesn't mean that you guys are in a bad marriage. It just means you need to communicate. You need to connect. You need to hear your spouse's heart for where they feel they are in life. What they feel has taken precedence over them. And then together begin to work on a solution. And and there's not always an easy solution. Sometimes the job's got to be what it is. Sometimes the kids have a hectic, crazy schedule. But one of the things I've learned in my own marriage is that my wife doesn't often want me to have to change the whole schedule so my world revolves around her. She just wants us to stay connected in the midst of the craziness. And for guys, we're like, huh? Well, I do that. I come home every night. I touch you. We kiss and stuff. Yeah, we kiss. And so here's the thing. You can't come into your marriage saying, well, in my family, we did this. Well, in my family, dad did this, mom did this, so here's your roles, wife, here's my roles, let's just get along happily. No, that causes a lot of problems, and many of you in this room who are married know exactly what I'm talking about. I remember when we first got married, my wife had a dad who came home every day at 5 o'clock. He left at the same time, came home at the same time. I grew up in a home where my dad was an entrepreneur, small business owner, so you never know when he was coming home. That's the kind of career I chose. That's the kind of degree I got. I love small business, and that was a struggle early on because I wasn't going to be home at five, that we were going to have late nights, and I was going to work weekends, and there was going to be an odd schedule. Now that I'm a pastor, it's really odd. And one of the things we had to work through was this understanding of roles, of saying, this is what I grew up with and this is what's normal, but we couldn't bring that in and say, this is how it's going to be. We had to sit down and begin to discuss it with each other. We had to work through it. And here's some of the ones that caused the most fights in your marriage, and tell me, you can think about, don't tell me, you can think about right now if this is you. Some of the things that we just bring in and assume our spouse will be okay with it is this. As a new unit, you don't talk about church or where you go. It's just sort of like, well, I grew up Baptist, well, I grew up Catholic, well, then we're going to go nowhere. Or you go to your church and I'll go to my church. That's not good. 
You need to talk about it. You don't need to take in, this is what we've done. This needs to be something you talk through. Punishment of children, right? That's a big one. You probably didn't grow up with the same exact way that your parents punished you, and so have you talked about together, not just this is what we're doing because this is how I was raised, but have you talked together on it? These are one of the ways we become disconnected. Holidays, how do holidays work? Of course we're going to my family. Do we have to go to yours? That kind of thing. Chores along in the house. What did dad do versus what mom did? You change all the diapers, and I'll make sure the remote is exactly where it needs to be on the couch every time you sit down in my hands. So I feel like this is a good trade here. Who cleans up the dog waste? Obviously the one who loves the dog the most. That's how back gates get left open. You have to develop new cultures, new culture, new ceremonies, new rituals for your family because you are this new, unique unit. You are not your parents. And I'll tell you this, men, as the head of a house that God has called us to be, you have not left mom and dad if you still make decisions and demand your wife to follow them because it's how your parents did it. That is not leadership, and that is not uh, making our wives feel as they are number one priority in our life. And then I want to speak this on kids, and then we'll be out of here. Marriage has to have priority in all of these areas, and especially when it comes to children. In Ephesians 6, it says that we raise them up. You know literally what that means? If you look at the translation, to raise them up, it literally means get them out of the house. It means to get rid of them. We raise them up. Yeah, there's lots of clapping. Get out. Move on. Grow up. And it is this idea that together we as a unit will raise them to kick them out of the house that they will go be influential members of society, that they will hopefully love the Lord with all their hearts and serve Him. But get out. That's what it means to raise them up. So when we have misplaced love and misplaced priority on our children to where we keep them, we not only stunt their growth, but we begin to hurt the very fabric and core of our marriage. Because we have a misplaced love of a being that we shouldn't. The one with whom we should be cleaving to, glued to, we are not. Instead, we have taken that attention and that affection and put it towards our children. And a lot of research has gone into this, and this may shock some of you, but the number one cause of children who are abused mentally, physically, and sexually are not by parents who hate them, but by parents who love them. It is a misplaced love. Because what happens is the abuse comes when the parent feels that the child is no longer meeting those needs, that the child disobeys, that the child lets the parent down, that the child rebels. And when you do not have the appropriate love, when your love for your spouse is not here, instead you've looked and your number one priority is the relationship with this kid, then they can do that. They can throw you out of whack. They can make you so angry that you would physically abuse them. And then we see a culture where Abuse is at the highest levels that we've ever been able to record it statistically. And it starts with the relationship between mom and dad. You see, when that is back and that's here, and the kids are second, not first, but the kids' needs, the kids' wants, the kids' sports schedules, the kids' school, when that's second to my spouse, I have put the kids in their proper place in the way I love them. Now they can mess up they can be rebellious. They can break my favorite guitar to speak the same. And I 
And because my love and my affection for them is in an appropriate place, I can deal with the punishment appropriately. You see that? So on the priority of marriage, and this is the final word, God intended it to be the vehicle for your sanctification. You know what sanctification is? It's the lifelong, ongoing process of of righteousness. We're saved because God justified the penalty for sin on the cross, and that happens the moment you say, Lord, I give my life to you, and then the rest of your life is this ongoing sanctifying process where he's purifying us, making us better, and there is no better vehicle, there is no better engine by which to sanctify you and remind you of your sin than your spouse. And they do it with joy. Like, they enjoy reminding you of your sin, hopefully in a loving way. But that's what marriage is for. It's the most intense contractual covenant relationship you can enter with outside of a relationship with the Lord. And God intended it to be that way because in it, he knew that we would get glimpses into heaven, glimpses into what life will be like when we are fully with him. So there is so much more important to marriage than the feelings or the love or the heart-shaped chocolate boxes or the flowers or the diamonds. There was a deep covenant drawing to a common goal. And we're going to talk about that next week when we get into the purpose of marriage. That the two of you would be drawn in one goal towards the Lord. And I'll close with this quote. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves, talks about the difference between eros love, which is an erotic or, or romantic love, and philos love. Philos is the brotherly love. Philos love, C.S. Lewis says, if you look at it as a picture, philos love would be two people standing side by side, shoulder to shoulder, eyes forward on a common goal. Are you tracking with me here? This is the type, this is the different ways we love people. Philos is that, side by side, common goal, straight ahead. Eros love is facing eye to eye to one another. Our world says, if we are compatible, eros love, romantically, if we're compatible this way, then I will decide if I wish to be compatible with you the other way, where we walk side by side looking straight forward. God says, no, who you choose as your friend to walk in that journey is where you start, and then you turn to the eros. And that's how I've made it to be great. That's how I've made relationships and marriage to sing is when you follow that path. So we're going to talk about that next week in the purpose of marriage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we need help, Lord. Our marriages need help. Father God, I do right now stand here, and in Jesus' name, I pray over every man and woman who's in a uh, married relationship right now. I pray, God, you would give them strength. I pray, Father, right now that you would help them break down the walls of selfishness and self-centeredness. I pray that they could go to lunch after this, God, and they could ask that question to one another. Do you feel that I make you the number one priority? And God, be in the midst of those conversations. Holy Spirit, would you not give the enemy a foothold at all, Lord, but would this be a healing moment for a lot of people this afternoon as they begin to talk through some things that they haven't in a while? Lord Jesus, for those who are single here today who are hearing this, God, would they not be scared of marriage, Lord, but would they take this in and would they remind themselves, God, that you created it as a beautiful way of understanding you more and bringing us to a sanctified state in Jesus name Father God marriages of you would we stop pretending it is something we made up and would we begin to recognize you have a plan and a purpose for our lives in it we thank you for the gift of marriage Lord 
pray you would bless those here this morning as we worship your name now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a message from LifePoint Church. We pray that you have been blessed by it. Be sure to check out lifepointpeople.com for more information, or you can follow us on Facebook.